All right, so today I'm going to be teaching on why we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so um, this is something that's been, God's been teaching me, talking to me about for quite a bit lately after I had a dream about him anointing me with oil. And uh, so I've been just diving deeper into what the oil is. And so first I thought I'd just start out with what is the anointing? What what does anointing mean? Biblically, anointing had many different definitions. Uh, it was used to consecrate. It was used to, um, to appoint to an office or a religious service. You anointed to uh, one interesting form of anointing or meaning was to receive the ashes from a sacrifice was an anointing. Um, to accept, it was used as an ointment that would heal. Um, anointing most often was used to set aside or set apart something or someone for holiness towards God. That's what anointing was in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, when the anointing is talked about, it's most often talking about the Holy Spirit who is setting on or calling someone to their to their office, their position. And then also in the New Testament, we see the anointing being where you use oil to anoint with oil to heal. And it was also used to, uh, most often, sorry, <laughs> most often used to uh, call people to their office like Jesus. So um, in First Samuel, the first time that we're seeing a great anointing besides in Leviticus when the priests were called to the office, um, Samuel is told to go fill your horn with oil and go to the person that I will tell you who they will be king. And so this is after his heart is broken over Saul because Saul was called and anointed as king and he fell from the Lord. And so Samuel takes his oil. We all know this. Well, if you don't know the story, it's in 1 Samuel. And he goes and he finds Jesse and his sons. And we know he goes and he sees David in the field and he anoints him with, with oil. And scripture says from that day forward, the spirit of the Lord was on David. What you also don't, well, you do know. That's how I sound. But um, what you also know is at the same time that David received the spirit of the Lord, it left and departed Saul. And so in that scripture, we see that a position of anointing was an appointing. And that sounds corny, but it's a good way to think of the word anointing is an appointing of a position. Um, it was also in the Old Testament a sign the oil of the prosperity and the blessings of the Lord in uh, which was always through the Holy Spirit. So in Zechariah 4, it's the first one we're going to go through. Zechariah 4, 1 through 14, it says, And the angel who was speaking with me came back and awakened me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. He said to me, What do you see? And he said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with its bowl for oil on top of it and its seven lamps on with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on top of it. There are two olive oil trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on its left side, supplying it continuously with oil. So I asked the angel who was speaking with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel said, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. And he said, this continuous supply of oil is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by my might, nor by power, but by my spirit, of whom the oil is a symbol. 
says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you will become a plain, and he will bring out the capstone with loud shouts of grace, grace to it. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this house, and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small beginnings? For these seven eyes shall rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. That word. <laughs> they are the eyes of the Lord which roam throughout the earth. Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right side of the lampstand and on its left? And a second time I said, What are these two olive branches which are beside the two golden pops by which the oil is emptied? And he said, Do you not know what these are? These are the two sons of fresh oil, Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the prince of Judah, who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth as his anointed ones. A lot of scripture, but that's one of the first places in the Old Testament that we're seeing the Holy Spirit is the oil. And so that sets us up to see all the way to where Jesus is first anointed, that the Holy Spirit is the anointing of the Lord. And so that was all a bunch of foundation work. And so it gets better from here. All right. So why we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. One of the first reasons we need the anointing is he anoints us for his purposes. If Jesus needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit before ministry, I think we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit before ministry. Uh, in Luke 3, 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, the visible heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, saying, You are my son, my beloved, and you I'm well pleased and delighted. When the Holy Spirit anoints us for ministry, he's setting us aside and appointing us to our office. It wasn't until the anointing of the Holy Spirit on Jesus that Jesus himself began ministry. And you would think that when God himself is on earth, he would be able to do the ministry. But God wanted to show that he wasn't going to do anything without the anointing of the Holy Spirit because he was showing what we would have to have in order to do the, the things that he told us he would do through us. <clears throat> and we need the anointing because without it, we'll fail. I don't know if you've ever been in a ministry where someone is doing something and they are not anointed, but you can feel it pretty quickly. And you can see when someone's trying to use talents and skills over the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And uh, in Acts, one of my favorite things that the Holy Spirit showed me. So in Acts 8, we see uh, Philip. And he was one of the apostles and he was in Samaria and had a very successful ministry. People were getting healed and saved and delivered. And uh, so the apostles heard about how great the ministry was doing. So they sent Peter and John because they wanted all the people there to receive the Holy Spirit. So we see a flourishing ministry, but the apostles know something is missing. And so Peter and John go down to Samaria and they lay hands on every single one of the people who were saved and they receive the Holy Spirit. And so um, one, there's a difference, obvious, between the salvation of man and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, one thing that I found interesting was right after they lay hands on the people of Samaria, where it's a flourishing ministry for Philip, God takes Philip out. 
and he goes off to a desert somewhere with an Ethiopian. So right after the Holy Spirit is now active in the people of Samaria, he no longer needs one disciple who was full of the Holy Spirit from Pentecost. Now he's filled the people. So now he's not having to work through one man. Now they're doing what they're called to do with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now he can go somewhere else. And that's one of the biggest reasons we have to be anointed is for one, Philip was anointed. So for the time he could be used to, to minister to the people of Samaria. But that's not all he wants us to do. God didn't call a handful of people to be anointed with the Holy Spirit, sit in the top of the church, and then the people just get fed through one person. That's not what he intended. The Holy Spirit was called for every single believer to receive the Holy Spirit and be anointed so that they can do the ministry. And so we see a church right now where we believe the Holy Spirit anointing is for those who are in the pulpit only or maybe those who are singing or whatever. But, and then we have a body of people who are dead and lifeless. And they, and you, you see preachers having burnout because they're too busy trying to light everyone's lampstands because they're not receiving the oil from the Holy Spirit themselves. So if we got done with pouring oil from ourselves onto people and instead teach them how to be filled with the oil themselves, we won't have burnout. And then we may see a big change in the earth and like it's supposed to be. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't want to do my thing. But um, that is the will of the Father. Jesus said himself, I'm going to go find it. It's at the end. Um, in John 7, 37 through 39, he says, Now on the last and most important day of the feast, Jesus stood and called out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow continually rivers of living water. But he was speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive afterward. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So that scripture, Jesus says, anyone who thirsts will receive rivers of living water, talking about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would come. He was saying, he didn't say only to my disciples, I will send the Holy Spirit and you will be anointed and filled with the gifts. And then those will end when the disciples die. He said, anyone who believes will receive this Holy Spirit. And so uh, that's just the will of the Father. Right now we have a group of people who are trying to work and do the works that Jesus said we would do, which is to heal the sick, you know, uh, let the captives go free and all that. But we're doing it without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we don't see miracles today, because we have too many people who are too into the word of God without seeing the power of the word of God come to play in the lives. And so, um, if you want to see, and one thing I've always said to God, Lord, I want to see miracles. I want to see, you know, I want to see people be healed. I want to see people get out of their lame beds and start to walk. I want to see lepers cleansed. You know, I want to see demon possessed people be set free. And, you know, he says it's not going to be by might or power or works or prayer meetings. It will be by my spirit. Prayer meetings aren't bad. But sometimes we get so religious that we want to set aside three days of the week to have a prayer meeting, cut off the Holy Spirit's flow the rest of the week, 
And now we're not seeing any flow of the Spirit. We cannot schedule the Holy Spirit. We can't have two worship songs, a prayer, a word, another worship song. Everybody say goodbye. Here's an altar call if you need some prayer. That's why our church is dead. That's why we don't see anyone set free. That's why we see people who can go to church three days a week, stay in sin, stay in bondage, and live an unvictorious Christian life because the Holy Spirit has been so put into this shell. He's either said in some churches, well, he's not active today. And in other churches, it's, well, only the leadership can have it or he can only be active on these revivals and these days of the week. And it's time the Holy Spirit is done with being kept in man's box. He's saying, I want to release over my people rivers of flowing water. I want it to it, to be inside of them, releasing this over the land. One of the prayers that Jesus taught his disciples to pray was as earth as uh, on earth as it is in heaven. He wasn't just saying that for a fun little phrase. He really said it is the will of the Father for it to be here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what is the key to see it here on earth as it is in heaven? The power of the Holy Spirit. We can't reach it by ourselves. In the Old Testament, if you went near the presence of God and you weren't anointed, you died instantly. The anointing in the Old Testament, if you weren't anointed, which meant set apart and made holy, if you went into the presence of the Father, you died. Today, we have a whole group of people wanting to enter into the presence of the Father without, without being anointed by the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's why we have so much spiritual death happening in the church. Because we want the things of the Father, give me the prosperity and the blessings, without the hand of the Father being on us through His Spirit. So, if you want freedom in your life, if you're tired of dealing with the same old sins, the same old bondage, the same old attacks on your mind, then it's time to get a hold of the Holy Spirit because he's the only one who sets us free. He's the only one who gives us the power and the ability to do unto others as on earth as it is in heaven. So, yeah. So I'm feeling the Holy Spirit. Speaking of anointing. So the oil, another reason we have to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit is, and this is probably one of my favorite things because I just saw it this week is in the Old Testament, one of the ways oil was used was to beautify and perfume those and get them ready for the croon or the king. In Esther, the women were anointed for six months with perfumes and oils before they were ready to enter into the king's presence. And so, and also, like I mentioned earlier, the Old Testament priests had to be anointed before they could enter into the presence of the Father. One of the reasons we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit is so that we can enter into the true presence of the of God, of the Holy of, of the Father. In Matthew 26, 6 through 13, Jesus was anointed with expensive perfumes and oils before his burial. And, and all, we know the story of Judas getting mad because it was so expensive. That they're like, we could have sold this perfume and given it to the poor. And Jesus was like, she has done a better thing by anointing my body for my burial, for death. We too need the anointing of the Holy Spirit for our deaths, our spiritual deaths to ourselves. The Bible says to die to self. It is very hard to die to your flesh without the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So you can do the 12 step program and you can try to journal your thoughts and that will work for so long, but you're still in bondage. You're still having to just treat these outside symptoms. It's the, the power of the Holy Spirit that sets us free. So if you want to be free, you have to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because, I mean, I don't know if you, if you have to have any proof, a book, anyone got a physical Bible? A book that thick is proof of the need for God on our behalf. We cannot do it on our own. We had perfection in the Garden of Eden and we still failed. So we can't do it on our own. And it's pride, nothing but pride, to believe that we can walk a day as Christians without the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. So often we quote the fruits of the Spirit. Well, the fruit, God has given me joy and peace and self-control, but we don't walk in any of it. We can quote scripture, but we don't actually live it out because we're not actually living through the one who gives us the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, we're grow, we're all growing stuff right now in our yards. And last I checked, you cannot grow something without first being planted. I cannot produce tomatoes without there being a tomato seed having been planted. So I cannot produce the fruits of the Spirit if He has not planted His anointing on me yet. I think that's one of the reasons that in Acts 8, you know, it said that they were they were baptized in Jesus, meaning that they were his. They couldn't be removed from Jesus, but they needed something more. I believe there are a lot of people who will go to heaven who did not live victorious lives here on earth because they were baptized in Jesus like the people of Samaria, but they had not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they can't be plucked out of his hand, but their entire Christian walk is unvictorious. They love the Lord, but they just can't seem to find the way off the bottle. They can't seem to get out of that pit of depression. They can't stop going around those same people. They can't get out of that cycle of poverty. You know, you see it all the time and you're like, Lord, why? They, they, they say they love you with their words, but the fruit of their life is just showing something different. And I believe it's because we have a people who are baptized in Jesus, like the people of Samaria, but they have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's the difference. So if you want to do more for the Lord, to go farther, to go greater for his glory, not for our own glory, you've got to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without him. <clears throat> so there's that. <laughs> um, in Romans 12.1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational act of worship. And if you've been a Christian, even filled with the Holy Spirit, sometimes it's just like Paul said, I do the things I don't want to do, and I can't do the things that I want to do. And it, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so there's a scripture I used to struggle with all the time that was, be holy as he is holy. And I come from a workspace perfectionism mind. And I'm like, oh God, if I'm not completely perfect, then I'm not being holy as he is holy, which means I'm failing and he's going to be mad at me. And he's going to punish me and all this stuff. And what God has showed me through his scripture, he says, be holy set apart as he is holy and set apart. You want to know how we can be holy and set apart like God? 
receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit who sets us apart and makes us holy because we can't do it on our own. Your work, the Pharisees did all the right things, but Jesus called them what? A, a den of snakes or something like that? A root of vipers, you know? Like, so they did the right things. Obviously, controlling our behavior and doing works of the flesh, that the flesh do not make us holy. Or Jesus wouldn't have had to come. That would have been a very mean thing for the Father to do to make Jesus die if works could get us there. But Jesus had to die, like he says in Scripture, so that he could ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit. He said, it's better that I go so that I can ask the Father to send the helper to you, your strengthener, your advocate, your counselor, your intercessor. Because he knew if we were going to make it on this earth, we had to have the Holy Spirit to make us the temple of the of God. And we're, we're going to go to um, Matthew 25 uh, to the parable of the ten virgins. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they did not take any extra oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delayed, they all began to nod off and they fell asleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all the virgins got up and put their own lamps in order. But the foolish virgins said to the wise, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, otherwise there will not be enough for us. And for you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy oil for yourselves. But while they were going away to buy oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut and locked. Later the others also came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, I do not know you. We have no relationship. Therefore be on alert, for you do not know the hour nor the day when the Son of Man will come. That's pretty heavy story because if you think logically about it if you're one of the 10 virgins you obviously know the bridegroom or you wouldn't be staying knowing he's coming waiting right but he says i don't know you to five of them who fell asleep and had no extra oil so i when i first read it i was like it's kind of hard you know not harsh but he obviously knew them or they wouldn't have known him to stand there waiting but he said, you have no relationship with me. And it's, it reminded me of when the disciples fell asleep when he asked them to stay up and pray with him. And he said, you know, I needed you to do that. A part of relationship is to do our part. I think the difference in this story is that five had extra oil and five had no oil. And I think that that is the difference of the Holy Spirit and the lack of the Holy Spirit. In these last days, we've we've been told in Scripture what the world's going to look like. I think it's going to be very hard for Christians to stay victorious and to stay bold for the Lord if they don't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do so. He says to he said to the disciples who were afraid because Jesus told them of the hardships they would have that you don't have to fear what you will say, what will happen in those days because the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Well, if you don't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, who gives you the words to say when you need the words? 
sometimes you'll shriek back in fear. You won't say anything at all. And that could be why we have such a lack of evangelism going on from Christians. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that the Lord pointed out to me was that the five virgins who didn't have the oil attempted to buy extra oil. I think if you look at, and this isn't against the church. I love the church because it's the body of Christ. But we obviously have a dire need in the body. I think it's interesting that they were to go buy you some oil because right now we have a church who thinks they can buy a mimicry of the Holy Spirit. We think we can buy, yeah, it's just like Simon, the same story about Philip with the Samaritans who needed the Holy Spirit. Uh, Simon, the... uh, Wizard. What's the word, other word for wizard? Sorcerer. <laughs> I always say wizard. Yes. Uh, Simon the, the sorcerer, he saw when they laid hands on the people and they received the Holy Spirit. And he said, what can I pay you so that when I lay hands on people, they receive the Holy Spirit? And obviously, you know, Peter with his temper was cursed him in all these different ways saying, you know, you'll never receive the Holy Spirit. And, and then everything you touch will be cursed and all this stuff. But, you know, we have a people who are more interested in the works of the Spirit than having the actual Holy Spirit. One thing that I see is we have churches who really love to do outward worship. But when it comes to their integrity and character behind closed doors, you know, where the Holy Spirit actually is trying to work on us, well, that's not to be found, you know. And we can't just buy, you know, what the Holy Spirit can do. You can add all the speakers, you can add all the fog machines and the lights, but you cannot mimic the presence of God. We want we want to add some smoke in the air so we can try to bring people up to this place that's just a false reality. He says, when you worship me, you will worship me in spirit and in truth, not in fog machines and light. There's nothing wrong with them by themselves, but they cannot replace the Holy Spirit's power and actual presence. One thing I I read a long time ago was, you know, if your Holy Spirit makes you run and jump, but it doesn't actually make you leave a holy life throughout the week, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You have ADD. (laughs) Because, you know, the Holy Spirit isn't just this outward sign of excitement, which that can come. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is way more concerned with what are you looking at in the quiet hours when you're alone? What are you watching? What are you allowing your eyes to see? What are you saying with your mouth to people? It's the most important thing Christians do. Or what are we speaking? Especially if you're called to a place as a prophet. What are you speaking with your mouth over my body of Christ, over your family, over people? You know, the Holy Spirit isn't in this game just to make you feel really good on Sunday mornings. He's here to make you look like Christ so that when they look at us, they want Christ. One thing that I think the same, the, the same thing with buying the Holy Spirit, one thing we've done is we are way more concerned with the talents of people than we are if they're actually anointed by God to be in a position. So let me pay this worship leader as much as I can pay them to get them on my stage because they will draw the people in. But they never stop and ask, is this worship leader anointed by Holy Spirit to lead worship? Without the anointing, we're not turning the hearts of men towards God. 
if we're just talented, we're turning the hearts of men towards us. If people are coming to see our talent, they aren't getting the Lord. So, if you want to, if you want to do what God puts you on this earth to do, and you want to be worthy of the calling, Peter, uh, Paul says, walk worthy of the calling that you've been given. One of the things you're going to have to do is get the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your lives. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural unbelieving man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he's incapable of understanding them because they are spiritually discerned and appreciated. And he is unqualified to judge spiritual matters. You know, we have, what's so sad is we have people who say they love the Lord who hate the Holy Spirit running churches because they do not know the Holy Spirit because they've been taught the tradition of man that says the Holy Spirit is not active today in our lives, that the miracles and the giftings of the Holy Spirit were only for the apostles, which makes no sense because Paul was not a part of the 12 disciples and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, but that's another day. He was probably 30 years after the Holy Spirit ascended at Pentecost and he prayed in the Spirit. Anyways, you do. And and that's the biggest thing is um, something, a quote I heard that just like floored me. And it said, sometimes we pray for the peace that passes all understanding without wanting to give up the right to understand. So we want to understand all things of God before we take faith, faithful steps and say, do whatever you want in me. Give me whatever you If I had any inkling that there was more of the Lord to receive, I'd be on my face before God to receive more. And there is. So I am. You know? But wouldn't you as an enemy, okay, say you're in battle, wouldn't you love to take all the weapons out of your enemy's arsenal? You can make them feel safe because they're in their their little refuge, but they have no weapons to actually defend themselves. That's the church today without the Holy Spirit. They can go to their church buildings and they can sing songs. Satan's not against that, but what he is against is the people actually surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit and being used by God. So yes, you can have your Sunday meeting. Satan doesn't care, but he don't want you to get there and be anointed by the Holy Spirit and have the giftings of the Holy Spirit actually active in the church that actually is going to change the world. That's why he don't care if you go sit on a pew every Sunday and Wednesday. You don't really fight people to do that. Because a pew, even though church is great and anointed by God, but that, that's not it. That's not the end. That's where you get filled, should be getting filled up so that you can go out and do. It's not a resting place. It should be a gas station. You know, we have truck stops and we have gas stations. Is your church a truck stop where you rest? Or is it a gas station where you fill up and you keep going? So I say, this is just Katie's opinion. I say it's foolish to say that the Holy Spirit's no longer active in the earth because from the God I see in the Bible, he's active from the very beginning to the very end. He's already in our future. So how is he not active today? If Jesus said it, I believe it. 
And he said it to all who believe will have rivers of flowing water, not just my disciples. So that means today for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ can be filled and anointed with the Holy Spirit. And it's not just for the preachers and the evangelists and the teachers and the prophets. And the, am I missing teachers? Pastors. <laughs> well, I said preacher. Apostles. I didn't say apostles. You know, even though obviously they have to be anointed for those positions, that isn't the only people who have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you've ever worked in customer service, but I have to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit to work with people. <laughs> because people are hard. Jesus knew that. That's why he gave us one of the hardest commandments besides love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Then love your neighbor as yourself. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. You have to drive with the anointing. <laughs> yeah, driving with the anointing. So I'm just saying... You know, I know there's different backgrounds listening and here today. And if you've ever been told that the Holy Spirit is not active any longer, I would urge you to seek the scriptures. He says, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And if you want all that God has to give you, start seeking him for the anointing and the feeling of and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Another reason we have to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit is the oil gives us the mind of Christ. And who here wants the mind of Christ? Yes, whistles. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 2.16, it says, For who has known the mind and the purposes of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ to be guided by his thoughts and purposes. In Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In 1 Corinthians 2, 11, it says, For what person knows the thoughts and motives of a man except the man's spirit within him? So also no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit of God, so that we may know and understand the wonderful things freely given to us by God. So how do atheists pick up the Bible and not believe? Well, they don't have the Holy Spirit who gives us revelation. If you want the mind of Christ, if you want to think like Christ, see like Christ, move like Christ, you have to have the Holy Spirit, which gives us the mind of Christ. Have you ever been going through a fight with your spouse and they're trying to tell you how you feel? And you're like, um, I know how I feel. This is how I feel. And they try to say, no, that's not how you feel. The scripture is saying, who can tell a man the motives of his own heart except for the spirit within him? You want to know God's heart? Then you got to get with God's spirit. And how is the how are Christians supposed to move and breathe and be like Christ? If we don't have the mind of Christ, you want to love your neighbor as yourself, get the mind of Christ, because then you'll start seeing your neighbor like Christ sees your neighbor, not how you see them, which is a big difference. Um, <clears throat> it goes deeper. And this is one part that I really wanted to, to touch today. Um, in, in your prayer lives, uh, Philippians 4, 6, uh, Paul tells us how to pray. 
He says, uh, I know y'all probably read it. Do not be anxious for anything, but in all things with prayer and supplication, make your petitions known to God and the peace that passes understanding will fill you and your hearts or whatever. So he tells us in that scripture that we need to pray specifically. Okay. Petition means, have you ever signed a petition for something? It's like four pages long and it is detailed and it talks about all the things. Right. So it says for us to petition God with detailed prayers. He likes the details. He wants all of it. But have you ever been going through something and you just say, God, I have no idea what to pray. I have no idea what to pray. You're making a big decision. I have no idea what your will is. You know, the Bible says pursue peace. But right now I'm just full of anxiety. So I can't pursue peace, you know, which that's a whole nother scripture or a whole nother teaching. Well, in uh, in uh, go to Romans chapter eight, uh, twenty six and twenty seven. It says, "In the same way, the Spirit comes to us and helps us in our weakness. We do not know what prayer to offer or how to offer it as we should, but the Spirit Himself." knows our need, and at the right time intercedes on our behalf with sighs and groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart to know what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes before God on behalf of God's people in accordance with God's will. Have you ever wanted to pray God's will, like his perfect will be done? And that we can pray that. We can say, God, your will be done. But he says in Philippians, he likes specific prayers. How do we pray specifically for the will of God? We pray in the spirit. And that's what we just read in Romans 8, that when we do not know what to pray or what to say, the Holy Spirit will pray on our behalf. And there, I think there's a misconception of praying in the spirit, praying in tongues in the church today. We think that there's only one praying in the spirit, the one that you know, happens in a service and it receives an interpretation right after. That's a gift of tongues. The pray, praying in the spirit, the, the prayer language, um, that is a whole different thing. That's a personal thing between you and the Father. Um, that That's what Romans is talking about on our behalf, those groanings that are too deep for words to say. Um, <clears throat> I Oh, I'm assuming. Anyway, so in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, Paul tells us to pray with understanding and without understanding. And so one thing that the Holy Spirit was making me question is he says, you've received my prayer language. How often do you pray in the Spirit? You know, so it's like, well, as a Christian, I pray daily, hopefully. But are you praying with understanding and no non-understanding? That sounds so weird. But God is saying, I've given you this weapon and this tool in your arsenal, and you're, pay- you're praying what only your mind can grasp of a situation when available to you is what the Holy Spirit, who is God, fully God, who can see down the path where we're going. He's in our future. You know, he knows all things, and we can pray with his understanding. You know, that's something that we need. And something that I was convicted of is I have been given this gift. If you think about it, a gift 
a language that I can pray the perfect will of God over my situation. And how often do I yield that weapon? Because I think the biggest misconception is I can only pray in the spirit if I'm in a revival, if I'm in a church service. You know, we we go all year waiting for that three-day revival, our church plans, hoping to get a touch of the Holy Spirit, not knowing we can go to our prayer closets every day and get the same touch of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for people to lay hands on you to receive the Holy Spirit, even though that's biblical. If you're home alone and you want the Holy Spirit to touch you, then you fall on your face and you wait till he does and don't get up. If you have received the Holy Spirit already, I urge you to begin yielding your gift. And when you're praying and when you're interceding every day, pray in the Holy Spirit. And some people are like, well, I have no idea how to do that. Just yield. You know, sometimes uh, it's really hard to find. And I've, I've had the gift of praying in my language for probably about 10 years now. And so I know now that when I lay down for prayer, I can begin praying in the spirit. But if you're new, it's hard to, to say, well, I don't know how to start praying in the spirit. You just start. Sounds way easier than, you know. But you just begin praying in the spirit. I really feel like the Lord is wanting his people to go deeper. We got to start going deeper. And one way is we got to start praying in the spirit in our own lives, in our own prayer closets. We have people who are getting mad at God because of situations in their life. When they have the ability to pray the perfect will of God over those situations, but they don't yield it. In Jude one twenty, it says, But you, beloved, build yourselves up on the foundation of your most holy faith. Continually progress, rise like an edifice, higher and higher, praying in the Holy Spirit. So one way, are you tired of feeling weak in the Lord? Every time the same battle comes along, do you react the same exact way and you're tired of it? Do you want to be built up spiritually? In Jude, it says, pray in the Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, who knows us better than we know ourselves, knows what to pray. I don't know if you've ever, like when you first get saved, it's like this honeymoon season, and you're just seeing these really cool things of God. But then you get into the sanctification. And that's when he starts drawing out and pruning this stuff from you. And there comes a time where literally it feels like every day God is showing you another thing he wants to fix and you're tired of it. And you're just like, I'm just a mess. And he's like, yes, I know. If we, when we pray in the spirit though, the God, see, there's times where he'll draw something out of me. I didn't even know was there. And I'm like, where did that come from? And he's like, oh, 15 years ago. And I'm like, well, that's cool. But see, when we pray in the spirit, those things we don't know that are in us, that need healed, that need free and broken, the spirit knows it. And he can go ahead and start praying over those things before we even know to pray for it. That's why praying and understanding and praying in the spirit are needed. We need both of them. We need God cleaning up what we can't see while we are doing our best to clean up what we can see. Prayer is absolutely necessary for your walk in Christ. I don't know why we think Christ had, Jesus Christ himself who never sinned, he had to pray 
daily, sometimes for hours, go off by himself and pray. And we think we can pray one day a week and be victorious Christians. I mean, come on. It is time. He's like, come, like, come on. If you want, like, you, I hear your calls out to me saying, please help me in this situation. Please break me free of this. Please fill me with this. Please set this door open for me. And he's saying, you want all these things from me, but I don't hear you. He's, you're begging for things while I want you to hit your knees and get in my presence. Begin praying. Not only that, one question I heard one time that made me just, I was like, oh, what is my life? It was, if God answered every single one of your prayers today, whose life would look different? Just yours? Or would the earth look different? Sometimes we're so focused on ourselves and our battle, we're only praying for these little minute things. When we've got the ear of Almighty God listening to us, and He wants to hear His people cry out for the earth. He says, cry out for the nations. Stop crying in your home with anxiety and fear because the nations look like they're crumbling. You have the ear of Almighty God willing to listen for your cries for the nations. Right? We take prayer as this thing that's just this, oh, it's an action I do as a part of my walk with Christ. A do a checklist, right? You know, we say, I remember there's times where you're going through something, you're like, well, I can do this, this, and this, and if not, then I'll pray about it. I'm like, you let's go to the Father first, who has all things. He says, I have a, a cattle of, what is it, on many hills? A thousand cattle on many hills. We pray and we try to throw a credit card at a financial situation before we pray for the Father to intercede on our behalf. Right? We, we go to the physician and, and the pharmacist before we go to the healer. So, with all that being said, the anointing is for the feeling of the Holy Spirit and your prayer language. So, <clears throat> the oil, the anointing, gives us joy and gladness. How many people here, when you first got your calling, or even just got saved and you began thinking about what God may do in your life, felt fear and anxiety? You know, when... Uh, I'm sure when Jesus came to earth and knew what he had to do, you know, the Bible says that he felt fear, but then he prayed that God's will be done. In Hebrews 1.9, it says, You have loved righteousness and have hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And I asked the Lord, what is the oil of gladness? And he said, the oil of gladness was the gladness and the cheerfulness with which Christ took his position. Did y'all hear that? I want to say it again. He said the oil of gladness was the gladness and the cheerfulness with which Christ took his position. So not only was he anointed and set apart, he received it with the anointing of gladness, meaning he walked it gladly. If you too want to walk your calling gladly and without fear, you need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Why? 
because the Holy Spirit's anointing is the one who's going to say, it doesn't matter what doors look closed. It doesn't matter what things look like they're in your path. This is to you. It doesn't matter what things you can see with your eyes. If I have called you to it, I will do it. The oil of gladness says to us, it doesn't matter how hard and heavy the burden gets because I will give you the strength to carry it. Jesus was beaten and whipped and he was carrying the cross and someone came and helped him carry the cross. It's God in flesh, fully God, fully man. I think in a second he could have taken the weakness out of himself, zapped everyone around him, smited them, and just went back to heaven. But he didn't. In the weakness of the flesh, that as he was taking our punishment, he had help of someone carrying his cross. In the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us. Luckily, he didn't, God didn't leave us alone to carry sin. But just because we no longer carry the burden of sin doesn't mean we don't carry burdens. Our callings and our anointings and our mantles can be burdened sometimes if we're not walking in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When you try to carry your ministry on your own, it will feel like a burden. But when you begin to carry your calling and your ministry with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't feel that heavy. In Isaiah 55, 11, <clears throat> he says, So will my word be, which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, useless or without result, without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Which is a comforting scripture, if y'all have ever read that. Um, I'm going to Mark 6, 30 through 52. So it's going to be a little long. Just bear with me. <clears throat> the apostles who had been sent out on a mission gathered together with Jesus and told him everything that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a little while. For there were many people who were continually coming and going and they could not even find time to eat. And they went away by themselves in the boat to a secluded place. Many people saw them leaving and recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the surrounding cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd waiting and he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When the day was nearly gone, his disciples came to him and said, This is an isolated place and it is already late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he replied, you give them something to eat. And he asked them, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. When they found out, they said five loaves and two fish. And Jesus commanded them all to sit down by groups on the grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. An orderly arrangement of lots is what the Bible says it looked like. Taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And then they picked up the baskets. They were full of fish and broken pieces of bread. 
Later, Jesus immediately insists that his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he was dismissing the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went to the mountain to pray. When evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea and Jesus was alone on the land. Seeing the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them at about 3 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea and acted as if he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out in horror, for they all saw him and were shaken and terrified. But he immediately spoke with them and said, Take courage, it is I, stop being afraid. Then he got into the boat, and the wind ceased, and they were completely overwhelmed, because they had not understood the miracle of the loaves, but in fact their heart was hardened, being oblivious and indifferent to his amazing works. That's a lot. When I first read that, I was like, what in the world does the fish and the loaves have to do with them being on the boat kind of thing? You know, you're like, okay, I mean, but here's what the Lord showed me. And when they, so first they were told we're going to get to have a vacation because they were exhausted. And then, of course, they showed to the shore and here's all these people. So they're like, great, you know, no more rest. So then they're trying to find any reason to go get to rest and have time to eat. They're like, okay, these people look hungry. You know, we should send them away so they can eat. And Jesus says, you feed them. Knowing uh, right before this, it said they had been so busy with ministry, they hadn't even had time to eat. And here they are starving with thousands of starving people. And Jesus says, you feed them. And you're just kind of like, okay, you know. So then he, they find the fish in the loaves. Jesus blesses them. And then he gives them to the disciples to hand out to the people. And one thing that I found amazing is the bread and the loaves didn't multiply in the hands of Jesus. The bread and the loaves multiplied in the hands of the disciples. Did y'all hear that? The bread and the loaves didn't multiply in the hands of Jesus. They multiplied in the hands of the disciples. Jesus didn't break the the bread and the loaves into thousands of pieces and then give them to the disciples to give to the people. As the disciples gave the bread and the fish to the people, they were multiplying in their hand. Have you ever had a miracle like that happen? I haven't yet. I say yet because I expect it one day. Okay? They're sitting here and they're feeding thousands out of their own hands. Okay, let's let's note here. Jesus said, feed them, and he did it. Now he says to them, get in the boat and go to the other side. I'll meet you there. Okay, then they get halfway across the water, and a storm comes, and they start panicking immediately. It's their favorite thing to do, this group of people. We all do the same thing. And it says, because they did not understand the loaves, Their heart was hardened in this situation. Here's the message that they didn't understand about the loaves and the fishes that that led them to this place in the boat. When God says he will do something, he will do it. If Jesus said to them, feed them, you feed them, then he multiplied in their hands the food so they could do it. Don't you think, Peter, and disciples, if he tells you to go to the other side, he's going to get you to the other side. 
They had just witnessed and been a part of a miracle and they lacked the faith and understanding to believe that he would do it again. Right? Just hours before, they watched thousands be fed from five fish and two loaves of bread. And here they panic, thinking God isn't going to rescue me out of this situation like he just rescued thousands of people on the shore. <clears throat> so, all of that to be filled. All of that to be said, when Jesus said with his words, you feed them, you go to the other side of the shore. And then he let them be a part of the miracle. He was foreshadowing the many works and miracles they would do on their own without his help. You can see that he gave them the ability to do the miracle with the fish. And then in the boat, he wasn't with them. Are y'all paying attention? As best as you can. So they did the miracle with the fish and in the boat, he wasn't with them. Why? Because he wanted them to see that in the future when he wasn't with them any longer, they were still going to be able to accomplish that which he spoke, which was you are going to the other side. The same way John 14, 12 says, I assure you and most solemnly tell you, anyone who believes in me will also do the things I do. And he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, your comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, to be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he's the Holy Spirit and he remains with you continually and will be with you. So Jesus says, just like you were able to feed those thousands of people when I gave you the bread and the fish. And just like you were able to make it across the across the sea, so too you're going to be able to do what I do and even greater because I'm sending the Holy Spirit who will give you the power to do it. Okay? So we no longer had to have Jesus present with us in order to do the miracles and to see the miracles. Now the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And when he anoints us and baptizes us with him, we now can do the works of the Father because everything that we do is in the Holy Spirit as temples of God. Right? So, question. Why don't we see the works that Jesus did in even greater things? Because we do it, we try without the Holy Spirit. He says to everyone who is listening, you will do even greater things than I because I will ask the Father to send you the Holy Spirit. Right? And we want healings without the Holy Spirit. We go to the doctors and the pharmacies and we pray for healing and we never went to the Holy Spirit. And then we get mad at God because he didn't heal us. When we, have, we haven't even gone to the Holy Spirit yet. We want miracles, but we don't want to surrender to the miracle worker. And we often want miracles, but we don't want situations where a miracle is needed. So we want to see the loaves and the fish multiplied, but I don't want to be hungry. 
You know, I want to be healed. I want to see the healing of diseases, but I don't want to be sick. So, so, so often we are trying to pray our ways out of uncomfortable positions where God may just want to show a miracle. We want to say, why did you take us to the Red Sea so that we can be killed instead of saying, let's see what God's going to do because he said we will get out and be free. That means he's going to do something to get us out and make us free. And he split the Red Sea. The anointing heals. The reason we need the anointing, because it heals. In Luke 10, 34, Jesus is telling the parable of this, this good Samaritan. And uh, in the story, the, the man was robbed. He was, his clothes were stolen. He was beaten. You know, he was almost dead. And it says, they went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And this isn't the first part in scripture where oil symbolized or was used to heal. The anointing of the Holy Spirit brings the power to heal physically of diseases and sicknesses, but it also brings the power to heal spiritually, to heal emotionally and mentally. Uh, one of the things that oil did was to stop infection. It would protect the wound so that infection couldn't occur. God does the same thing with us, with his Holy Spirit, when he brings healing and stops bitterness from taking root. Wrath, because those are spiritual infections. Bitterness says in scripture that bitterness is decayed to the bones. That would be like an infection of the bones, right? But we have we get to have the Holy Spirit that can heal those places of us, remove those broken places. Luke 4.18 says... Y'all ready for The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, downtrodden, bruised, crushed by tragedy, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Psalm 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, healing their pain and comforting their sorrow. Isaiah 61.3 says, To give them a turban instead of dust on their heads, a sign of mourning, beauty for ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. In Scripture, we're also told when someone is sick, to lay hands on them and anoint them with oil and the prayers of, of the saints will heal them. Okay. So the power of the Holy Spirit, when he anoints us, gives us the ability to not only lay hands on the sick and heal them, but also to lay hands on the brokenhearted and heal the brokenhearted, to lay hands on those who are in bondage and set them free you know, those are all things that we have to heal from. From the little girl who sex trafficked her whole life, God is the only one that can touch that life and set, turn it around and use her for glory. You can't see counseling do that kind of work that the Holy Spirit can do. And I'm a counselor. Sounds ironic, huh? But I can't do it without the Holy Spirit. I can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the only one who actually brings healing. I can use wisdom all day long from man, but it's not going to get to those recesses of pain in someone's soul that the Holy Spirit can draw out 
and one setting. So we need the Holy Spirit because he's the one who heals. He wants to indwell us with his power and his presence. Not only so he can do all those things I've talked about today, but so that we can be conduits of his presence. Just like Philip in Samaria, until the people were filled with the Holy Spirit, Philip was the conduit of the Holy Spirit. It says that there were healings and miracles taking place before the Holy Spirit filled the people. So Philip was a conduit of the power of the Holy Spirit working in a people who did not have the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's anointing is not just for you, but it's for them. It's for the world. We can, uh, you know, I can store up a treasure in my house all day long, but it's just going to sit there. But unless I'm pouring that treasure out, it's not going to be worth anything, right? What's the point of having money if you don't spend it? What's the point of having the power and the giftings of the Holy Spirit if we're not working and walking in them? Right? The last reason God wants to anoint you with his Holy Spirit is because he needs the glory. Right? When you're anointed in the Holy Spirit, God is getting the glory for everything that happens. It's not your abilities. It's not your talents. It's not your skills. It's not your ability to manage your time wisely. It's not your scheduling that works. It is the Holy Spirit's anointing that is infilling you. And God gets the glory for everything that is done. So, it's time to not only, if you haven't yet, be filled and anointed and baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's time now. But if you have been and you haven't had a fresh pouring in 15 years and you haven't been walking in it in 15 years, it's time for you to be re-anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Are y'all listening? As best as you can. Right? It is time now to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's time now that if you are anointed and baptized to get a new wine skin, a new pouring of oil, if you haven't been actually actively walking in the giftings of the Spirit. If you're anointed in the Spirit already, it's time for you to grab up that gifting and that free gift, the Bible says, and start walking in it daily. It's time for you to enter your prayer closets in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's time for you to enter your cars in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's time for you to enter your workplace in the power of the Holy Spirit, the grocery store, the bank, hopefully your churches. It's enough of putting the Holy Spirit's power and anointing in just this part of my life. He wants to overflow. It says, he anoints my head with oil, my cup runs over. If your cup's not running over, we're going to get a fresh anointing today. If you have just enough oil that's getting you by, but you don't feel like it's running over, God wants to pour out a new anointing today over you. If you feel like the brides, bridesmaids, the five who were running on empty, if you've been trying to live your spiritual life, if you've been trying to break free of burdens while running on empty with the anointing and the oil of the Holy Spirit, God says it's time to be filled again and to overflow with the Holy Spirit. So 
Today, we're going to pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit over everybody today. For a new wineskin, a new overflowing cup, for rivers of living water to flow from all of us today. So, 